Hello and welcome to the podcast where we shine a light on the complexities and challenges surrounding the importance of human behaviour on cybersecurity and compliance. That's right, we're talking about people being at the centre of information security and data protection and the challenges of engaging users to create change in their behaviour. This is Beyond the Firewall. Hello and thank you for joining us. My name is David McClelland and joining us today to talk cybersecurity, PEBCAC, bear with us, all become clear, is author of Cybersecurity for Dummies and Meta Compliance CEO, Robbie O'Brien. Hello, Robbie. Hey, David. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm pleased you're here as well because it would be pretty rubbish without you and just me and Jenny chatting because I haven't got a clue what I'm talking about. So pleased you're here. Speaking of Jenny, we have a special guest. We have pen tester and people hacker, Jenny Radcliffe. Hello, Jenny. Hi, pleased to be here. <laughs> you say that as though you're not entirely sure yet. No, no, I am. I am. Good, good. Yeah. So Jenny, for anybody who isn't familiar with your work, my start for 10 is that you are known as the people hacker and you're, you very much focus on helping people and organizations to understand and appreciate the human side of cybersecurity. Is that a fair summary? Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, is cybersecurity is the humans. I mean, that's the bit that everyone kind of mixes up or doesn't realize. Most attacks involve a human being being uh, manipulated or making a mistake. So what I specialize in is kind of explaining that training people in that, but also replicating attacks from the bad guys on the humans and on the physical security, just so that we can we can test it and show them, you know, how to make it stronger. So yeah, all about the humans, sort of social engineers are the zombies of InfoSec. We're all about eating the brains of the humans. That's what we say. <laughs> I, I, I love that line, the zombies of InfoSec, eating people's brains. We're, we're going to come into that in a few <laughs> minutes time, I think. So yeah, our, our conversation today, Robbie, you, you lined up the title for our chat today and it took me back to my IT support days. Yes, we, we've all been there where PEBCAC was, it was common slang in our, in our ticketing system for human error. And for those not familiar with the term, PEBCAC stands for Problem Exists Between Chair and Keyboard. Today, we're calling it the nightmare between the chair and keyboard, <laughs> NEBCAC. I'm not sure if that exists already, but we're, it, it's a thing today. Now, Robbie, I don't know what your desk setup is like there, but I suspect that your intent is to point your cyber finger less at my desk and the furniture between my chair and my keyboard and more at me. Is that right? Well, I, I suppose yes is the, the, the blunt answer, but I think that's the challenge. The challenge is that, you know, we've seen 20 years of a digital rev revolution, which has seen the velocity of change increase. And, and it's happened sort of by osmosis in people's personal lives, in their workplace. And, you know, after the uh, COVID, we all w work from home. So virtual is, is the, the name of the game, but ordinary people haven't yet, and in a lot of cases, caught up with that. And that really is the big challenge. How, how do you connect people to the fact that there are all these challenges and there are people that are more versed in how to benefit from a negative perspective in terms of scams from all this change? And uh, I think as with every major 
revolution, industrial or otherwise, there always have been pirates. There have always been people who sort of see ways to scam uh, your average Joe and uh, and get money. So it is people that are at the centre of it, absolutely. But there's an enormous challenge to make this stuff digestible for your ordinary person because it sort of seems like someone else's problem. Mm. Yes, until it's you that gets targeted and you know we we all can be victims you know it's 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 easy to think yeah i'll never fall for that no no you're, you're probably the probably really at the heart of the target here uh jenny you know we're, we're focusing on the human here and you know focusing on the fact that there's a very diverse population particularly in terms of skills and awareness around the types of attacks that they face from the pirates as as Robbie puts them there's also change as well and we've been through a massive cultural change over the last uh, couple of years or so with this pandemic that's changed people's behaviors the way that they interact with technology from from your side who you know you put yourself in the in the shoes of of the hackers and put yourself in their mindset how have you changed or have you seen hackers change their approaches over the last 18 months to take into account these massive changes that have been happening to the way that people interact with tech? Yeah, I mean, you know, historically, criminals will always adapt scripts to whatever the narrative is in the wider, in the meat space, is what we call it. You say, Pep, you say out in the meat space, you know, and, and, and criminals will always do that. And so, you know, very, very quickly, mm into the pandemic, we started to see lots and lots of things like phishing emails being adapted to pandemic and COVID narratives. We see lots of streaming sites popping up to steal credentials. I think at one point it was something like 300 a week were being tracked, just the ones that were being tracked, pretending to be sites like Netflix and, and, and Disney Plus and things like that. To, because everyone was at home, right, and wanted to watch, you know, the Tiger King or whatever. And, and, and so criminals are very clever. They're sort of ahead of the curve. And while everyone else is trying to look after each other, the, you know, the criminals, you know, the black hat hackers, anyone who, you know, there's always going to be people who want to exploit the misery. And we just saw like an avalanche of it. And the thing about it was, was that it was, I often refer to it as the perfect storm because, there you are, you, you know, you're isolated. All of a sudden, we're all isolated. Mm. You can't just pop your head up across the office and say to your colleague, should I answer this email? Does this seem weird to you? Or, yeah. is, you know, is the, is the finance guy on a, on a business trip? I, I, I've had an email from, is he supposed to be? Well, that whole thing do... about just take five before you respond to a request you weren't expecting, you know, there's you're in the house on your own or, you know, not really interacting with anybody. So don't have other people immediately to talk to. Yes, yeah, so exactly. Right. So that's the first. The first thing is that human just spare in the moment check disappeared. And then if you remember, you know, and we'll all look back on this in a few years, hopefully, and remember it's been the strangest time when when the when the instructions from the government were changing by the minutes and mm. suddenly there were reports coming in from all over the world and nobody really knew what way was up and in the middle of that confusion and fear and doubt the fud that we know infects people's brains anyway emotion is high logic is down and it was just perfect for hackers social engineers you know people-based hackers those stories those phishing emails it was just a perfect time no wonder it went up at the race it is i think by april google were reporting 18 million covid related phishing emails being reported a day by april 
you know, and it just went through the roof because people were, were primed for the taking, really. Jenny's right. It was, a, it was a perfect storm. And you have people with these new devices without any support at home trying to get their BT router or, or whatever, their local internet router, trying to establish connections and use these new tools like Zoom and, and, and Teams and things like that. You know, to, there's some people that thought it was, was easy, but there's a lot of people who really, really struggled with it. But what happens next? What happens if a user, a human, does get duped into clicking on one of these links? What's the kind of anatomy of, of why that's such a bad thing? How are the scammers continuing to drag these naive humans on their journey? Well, I mean, it depends, you know, there is as many hacks as there are hackers, there are as many mm. different types as there are people. I mean, a lot of these are very tailored attacks. I think people always think, for example, the phishing emails are those typical spray and pray, we call it, where you just throw all these you know, thousands out and wait for someone to come back. But the, but the, the spear phished emails, the ones where people mm. have been researched or where there's just some sort of identifying piece of information doesn't have to be much an old password they've pulled off you know off a breach or something that's how people are pulled along by it because there's something there's something that that, that seems familiar and identifying and, and it builds not trust exactly but that sense of you know something they really do have something on me it's so personal yeah. it's so tailored and once that's done in that emotional sort of fog that we spoke about they just want to get, people just want to get out of it. They just want something to get them out of the situation. You know, the parking ticket or the ransomware, we've got your stuff or we've locked your computer. And so they click. And then when that happens, I mean, it opens up not only their own device, potentially to any number of, of sort of uh, malware and, and, and so on, but also the network. And then, I mean, I'll hand over to Robbie now because, you know, Robbie can talk about it in more detail about the sort of the technical side, I suppose, and what happens once that once that's done. But you've got to understand that what, what social engineers and, and, and sort of hackers that are engaging with humans are after is that just that call to action, that click, that open of the attachment, that that little bit of information to just open up the, the system to, to whatever it is they're planning. I'm sure Robbie will, will echo that and go into a bit more detail. That's Absolutely. What's going on. I think also you, you have an arms race where a number of exploits like phishing is evolved over a number of years. And then what happens is organization buy tools that sort of mimic phishing to teach their staff how to do stuff similar to the technology we have. But what you've seen, I think, and and, and COVID really brought it out is the adoption of of like industrialized phishing and industrialized ransomware. So what would happen is you might have a nation state have some sort of attack and then you have criminal gangs watching what they're using, watching what techniques are working and then taking that and, and evolving it even further. And, and typically you, you have a, a blending together of different types of, of attack, which is so you have industrialization. You know, you can buy these platforms as a service. You don't have to go yeah. back and create them yourself. So it, it's the entry entry level to new scammers is relatively easy, but there, there is like a learning aspect of it. So it isn't that, you know, we have a, a particular point in time, which we just have to solve. Evolution over time is is something that is, is, is a big challenge. And they just really need to get through once and then the problems occur. From a networking perspective, it is one of those things where you then have people as well in, in the mix. We had a, a customer where 
they had a ransomware, a, quite a big ransomware attack. And the problem was, is that people turned off the machines when they saw the ransomware script appear. It was like, <laughs> oh, I'll turn this off. And when I turn it back on again, sure, it'll be gone. And in fact, it actually scrambled the code and made the whole recovery situation much, much worse. So, I mean, it is it is a, a, a real problem that from an organizational perspective can be almost fatal. You talk about almost, well, it, it is the scamming becoming a profession and many of the business tactics, many of the business models that we see operating elsewhere in legitimate businesses on the internet. How can we scale our operation? How can we do what we do as a service and so on? That's exactly what you're seeing out in the cybersecurity world as well with attackers saying, right then, well, I could sit on this guy's email, on the, the, this guy's emails and, you know, try and get bits of information, or I could sell this as a platform. I could sell phishing links as a platform and make a lot more money for a whole lot less effort, you know, make once and, and sell lots and lots of times. This is one of the reasons the ransomware attacks that we've seen are so devastating is that they're very well planned a lot of the time, but it's, it takes patience to do mm -hmm. it really well. And I always say, you know, these are patient attacks. So they might go in, you know, they'll be on the system for typically, I don't know what the, what, what the timescale of someone being sort of inside the system typically is, but it always used to be, always used to be quoted six months, Robbie. Still yeah, is six yeah. months, yeah. Still Hundreds six months. And, and, you know, and in that six months, they're watching the activity, but they're also looking for things like the insurance policy. So what does that pay out? <laughs> so that they can get sort of typical, they know what the ransom might be, they know what to ask for. I think the public particularly have been misled a little bit by popular culture and by the industry, by the idea that it's a single hacker in a hoodie in a basement, sort of pressing three or four buttons and in and stealing something. These are organized attacks that take time and discipline for large reward. And that's why you hear so much about it. And that's why it's so widespread and so devastating. Jenny, you're absolutely right. It is large reward. I mean, multi-million pound payouts at the minute is is not uncommon you know if you walk back four years it was relatively uncommon you know it, it was sort of low-key but now it's if they are insufficiently long and they're in a particularly sensitive organization like say uh, someone's coming up to an ipo and they have you know data that will have a an, an unbelievable impact on you know hundreds of thousands of a, of, a, of a share release then like paying a couple of million to get rid of that problem is something that would be very tempting for an organization who have been hit with the, ra the ransomware. I mean, this is the thing. You're talking about potentially a business end an event. And I've been involved in lots of discussions from within the industry of people saying, well, you, you just shouldn't pay, you know, full stop. And of course, nobody wants to pay. That's not plan A, B or C. But the problem is, it's exactly what Robbie said. You're asking someone to see the bigger picture with a gun to their head. Exactly. They're saying, you know, couple of million or whatever it is that we've already been insured to pay or the business will definitely take this massive hit. And, you know, you, people are weighing up the odds. I've been in those rooms and, and it's mm -hmm. it, it's not an easy decision. Of course, nobody wants to fund terrorism or whatever else these gangs are up to. But that's yeah, that's the situation. That's the reality. Yeah. And sometimes we just don't know what these settlements are. You know, we hear about a company that has been held to ransom and then the problem either goes away with a high or a low profile. We don't 
sometimes know whether the full ransom, whether any ransom, whether this uh, breed of professional negotiators that seems to be in the way in some of these conversations as well as has managed to find some leverage somewhere. But it's uh, it's fascinating with with very very difficult decisions, Jenny, like you say. So this this narrative that we're talking about about humans being in the middle of all of this, having their arms twisted by ransomware or being cajoled to click on links and so on. This all fits into this, your workforce is your weakest link narrative, which isn't really new. You know, we've been talking about that. Media have been reporting on that line and, you know, cybersecurity experts have been talking about that for a long time. But I just want your thoughts on whether it's helpful when it's expressed in this way, because I get that particularly in communications, we want to create an impact with the messages that that we put out and being as direct as that is one way of doing that. But isn't there an argument or a narrative that is perhaps, I don't know, more, more positive or more empowering than one that basically sounds like, let's blame the stupid people? The thing is this, people understand what you mean, right? So that's why it gets used because... Someone who's not in the security industry say people are the weakest. Like they, oh, I see what you mean. But you're right. I don't think it's helpful at all. And I start lots of keynotes and things by saying, if we believe this and if we use this terminology, we are seeing the people the same way the hackers see them, right? Mm. But you cannot discount the fact that there is a weakness because we're all human, right? So you, the reason that this keeps happening, the reason that people are attacked is because we are, our very humanity makes us vulnerable. The fact that we get emotional, the fact that we have things and people that we want to protect, the fact that there are things that we're frightened of, all of that makes you a target that a machine isn't necessarily subject to. And the problem is, is we tend to see that very in very binary terms. So then you'll people say, well, you're either the weakest link or you're the strongest defense. And I always say there's none of that. There's no black or white hat. There's only, I always say there's only 50 shades of gray, which gets a laugh at a conference, but there is. So what you've got to say is we are, we will, we have to acknowledge that weakness. This is my opinion, but we have to acknowledge that weakness and understand it and then work with that because to bring out the strength of the workforce, it's kind of like 12 step program. The first step is awareness. Okay. So we, we can be weak. We can be manipulated. Now, where do we go? And then constantly updating that workforce so that they understand the vulnerability, but that once you start to understand it, get the right training in place, get some tech to do some heavy lifting. Now your eyes and ears, now you've got troops on the ground, always watching. And that's what makes you less vulnerable, I think. But I think the term itself, it'll never go away because it's a good starting point for discussion, like just like now. And Robbie, you're always talking about personalizing communications, you know, acknowledging the diversity in a workforce if you're going out with a, a, a cybersecurity awareness campaign. So I guess to Jenny's point, it, it's good as a as a door opener, but then after you've got attention and you've raised awareness and acceptance of the problem, then it's perhaps different depending upon your audience as to how you then follow that up. Totally. I mean, the issue is that people can go numb to this real quick. There's only so many times that you can shout fire and people will come running. And and so therefore, to go back to the, 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 the previous point of... of you know, how people sort of won't continually latch on to the fear aspect to the, you know, the workforce is the, is the weakest link. It's, it is a starting point, but the companies that, that do it best are the companies that actually realize that they are now completely reliant on their digital foundation. It's everything. And so therefore really it should be that protection or, or defense is part of their DNA, it's part of the DNA as a company. 
the best companies I've seen is where you see companies trying to embed those type of positive messaging within their overall talent management system. You rarely, rarely see it. So when you go on to any big company, they'll have a, a great you know, uh, employee portal and they'll be talking about away days and, and how somebody won a, a, a particular uh, employee of the month and what charities involved them and all those things, all positive stuff. You rarely see anything mentioned about cyber, rarely, because it's like negative. But in actual fact, you know, if you were to applaud the people that have reported, you know, this this person actually found a reported a fish and it turned out to be malicious and, and saved us from X, Y, and Z. If you started as an organization celebrating the the success and trying to calibrate that, but more importantly, you know, if you look at the I always use the oil and gas industry as as a an industry who realized that they were killing themselves with pollution in, in terms of uh, ships and whatnot. And they completely changed where when you walk into uh, Shell's headquarters, there's a big ticker tape thing which says we believe in zero harm. And it comes up the last time we had a, a safety event was 22 days ago. It's right in your face every day. This is a clear and present danger for all of us. And I think that's where we're going. We're going to move away from, you know, people are bad, uh, people are stupid to this is a really serious, serious problem and we better make it relevant to people. And, and look, it goes from language. If someone's trying to train you using subtitles, forget about it. Forget about mm-hmm. it. If, if someone is giving you training and it's for a finance team and you're actually a programmer, wasting your time. And, and interestingly, because we consume so much product, be it, you know, Instagram, TikTok, whatever it is, because we, and we have standards, we, we instantly flick past that. And it's no different to trying to get people on board with this issue. I completely agree with what you're saying. And I think now is, is a really brilliant time. Mm. I think we are sort of we're standing on a line now where there's this massive opportunity for engagement. And the reason for that is because during the pandemic, during the work from home, during all the lockdowns globally, people had to engage more with tech in a certain way. Do you know what I mean? Like, like people were grabbing, they did it wrong yes. as per what security would say, because they're grabbing phones and grabbing the kids' iPads to send emails and all the rest of it. But they kind of can see now the reliance on tech and really how if it's used properly, it can help, you know, it's a brilliant thing. It helps you work life balance. It does all these things. So I think that we're at a moment where the relevance of security has never been higher for people and it's never been so immediate. And I think as an industry, we really stand on, on the cusp of taking that moment and, and making it easy for people and, and making it more engaging for people. And most of all, making it easy for people to understand. I think if we can do that, then we're starting to pull people along because it's it's just inevitable at this point. You talk about this being an important moment of time and just taking a half a step back from the cyber industry. You're right. You know, a lot of a lot of companies went into tactical emergency mode just to keep the plates spinning when the pandemic kicked in. And really, whatever device, <laughs> to your point, whatever app, whether it's Zoom or Teams or whatever, just get it on there. Just get it working at almost any cost. But we just need to get through the next three months. Okay, it turned out to be a little bit longer than that. But hey, hey, now we're at a point where in many parts of the world, not everywhere, but we're starting to come out of that. Organisations are starting to take a little bit more of a strategic view saying, okay, then, so let's have a look where we are right now. Hybrid, flexible working, 
that's the thing now we might like to do more of in the future. What are the tools, not the things that we just grab from the shelf and, you know, yeah. in, in the fire sale, what are the tools that will enable us to do all of these things? Baking the security, baking a, a lot of the other stuff in at this point when the rest of how the, the corporation, the organisation is going to be working for the next cycle at least, I think is really important. So I really, really agree with your point that the time is very much now. Absolutely, it is. And I think we can't get away with any more saying, oh, it's an emergency. We've just grabbed things. People realise the rules getting back in place from the from workplaces. Yeah. You know, but... But, but, but people have to see what's in it for them. Yes. You, you just cannot expect people to care. And Robbie said it earlier, a lot of people, if security isn't in your title, people go, then it's not my problem. It's someone mm. else's problem. Now, what, what I always say to that is you are being targeted as an individual and you cannot expect law enforcement, for example, they just don't have the resources to do it. It's drinking from a fire hose. So if you target it as an individual, make yourself more secure as an individual, and that'll bleed into everyone around you and your workplace. That's a brilliant place to start because you start with what's in it for them. And that means training and products and usability and everything else has to have that user at its heart because anything else they just won't do it. You might as well not bother. And celebrating success, as Robbie, you said a moment ago, you know, whether that's on the employee portal, oh, look, Julie from finance found this, reported it and saved us, goodness knows how much money. But there are other tactics as well, like, uh, I don't know, gamification, for example, just finding ways of creating those little engagement triggers that turn it from this stupid humans into a positive. No, I want that. This is a point of pride for me. This is a point of competition against my other department. Definitely. You need to engage with people. And I think in the past, the industry actually provided people with really boring, boring, boring stuff, brought them into a, a you know, a classroom and it subjected them to a a one and a half hour PowerPoint presentation, everything from, you know, firewalls to GDPR. And as a result, that was universally hated by all. Really now what needs to happen is it's the organization that is responsible for making it palatable for people, like making that it, it is easy to consume. And and if you if you take that, then you need things like well, it's storytelling, you know. And and and, yeah. and Jenny does this really well. Te you know, you tell stories about this is what happens in real real life. So you're hitting oral tradition. You're making it relevant to the culture, the language, and and the role that the per the person's in. And then you have an ability to provide feedback, which is I hated that stuff. I don't 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 do it again. And 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 taking someone off that particular journey because you know it you have to be a personality within an engagement process. If you don't have a personality or the content doesn't have a personality, then by its mere approach, it's vanilla. And therefore it's like, pap, nobody can take it. But once you have a personality and once you decide to tell particular stories or try and get engagement, you realize that some people won't, will not be uh, entirely happy with that. And so therefore, you have to determine what's your tolerance as an organization. And I think the more mature org organizations realize that the problem is just too big. The 
hacking community doesn't take any sensibilities into account. And in fact, as Jenny was saying earlier, they're trying to elicit an emotional response, a big emotional response. The bigger, the more out of control you are and your your actions, hey, that's that's a great exploit. But so are you with your cybersecurity training. Sometimes you're trying to provoke that response using whatever tools you have in your armory. And sometimes, you know, as they say, you, you can't bake a cake without breaking any eggs. And sometimes you aren't going to have to shout a little bit louder than the rest in order for your message to be heard. I'm not talking yeah. about annoying anybody, but just getting people talk. Did you see that? That was rubbish. Or did you see that? That was very good. And then the holy grail is to try and get people to, you know, consume it on their own because actually it's, it's interesting. Yeah. You know, on a portal, if you put user discretion advised, as in on whatever you have there, people will go and go, what's that? As, as a simple, you know, just uh, true, isn't it? That's true. And I think, we're, you know, we talk about fear. I think what we have to be, fear on its own doesn't sell, you know, in the longer term. But we can't be afraid. And this is really controversial in the industry because there's people who's, you know, will talk about fear, never, be, never using it. But I don't feel like we're using fear to sell. I just think you need to treat people like grown-ups and tell them the real consequences. You said this at the beginning, well, how bad can it get? It can be absolutely terrible. It can be business ending. You can lose your identity. You can do all those things. And that is an emotion is an engaging thing. That's why it's used by criminals. Mm. But what we then do is say, all of this is there, but this is what you can do that one person can stop the business killer, if you like, in terms of official whatever. So I think we were so frightened as an industry at one point to use the fear and the uncertainty and the doubt that, it, that as Robbie said, it's a brilliant way of putting it. It became, training became very vanilla and very corporate. And the thing is, if you look even over the last 18 months of the pandemic, the way people are wearing clothes, the way what people wear, the way we behave, it's all kind of changed. It's become less formal. It's become more face-to-face because it's such a great leveller. You know, calls like this, Zoom and, and Teams yeah. and everything, they're a great leveller because we see the boss, you know, in his study there. You know, you can see the background. You never see anything in my background because I'm a social engineer and I, I don't allow it. <laughs> but what happens is... <laughs> <laughs> that's that informality and that kind of it's it's more humes more direct and that's what Robbie you know I agree with Robbie that's what's going to get through it's being honest with people it's treating people like a grown-up and saying this is I say sometimes this is terrifying potentially but it also can be funny it also can be inspiring it can be motivating end of the day this is the world we're in now so engage with it you're engaging, you're communicating with humans. You know, we're talking about, about humans being the problem here, but when it comes to awareness, training, getting a message across, you have to remember that you're communicating with other humans and, you know, you understand you're not talking to a corporation. You're not talking to a blue logo with three letters on it, perhaps. You're talking to actual people and need to understand what will excite those people. So, Human, human emotions. We, 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 we've been talking a lot about emotion and fear. Another natural human emotion is to blame and to point the finger of blame. And, you know, we, we were talking with the PEBCAT title as, you know, the blame pointing towards the employee. Where might the employee turn, you know, try to deflect some of that blame to, to shift some responsibility? Well, I guess in, in many organisations, larger ones on the whole, naturally towards the chief information security officer, the CISO, because it's the CISO's 
responsibility, I guess, to make sure that as well as the IT systems and operating systems being all patched and secure, the human workforce, the human OS is as cyber secure as it, as it can be as well. Is that where this is falling down? Is it, as well as the humans, it's the kind of layer above them, the CISO whose responsibility they are? I mean, they have a tough job. They do know what the challenge is. There is no CISO that I have come across that isn't aware on a daily basis of this challenge. The corporate communications, the engagement, the storytelling, whatever it is that requires us to get the user to just be more vigilant, those are not naturally gifts that would you'd find in a technical environment. So this this is a, this is a tough issue. And in my experience, you tend to find the, the HR department running a million miles away because it's IT security and, and it, it's really something to do with someone else. And that, that probably is the biggest problem. It's an unenviable role to have the responsibility for trying to communicate to particularly, you know, global audiences and get them to, to provoke a, some sort of culture or, or, or behavioral change. Very, very tough. Jenny, you must speak with a lot of CISOs or equivalent roles as part of your work. What do you notice about the burden that this places on them? You know, the fact that organisations are under constant attack uh, and, you know, from their their systems as well as their humans. Are CISOs cognisant of this? Do do, do you feel as though they feel it's an an unenviable task, as Robbie puts it, that they're faced in? And are they standing up to it? Is it fight or flight on their part? So everyone thinks they've got the hardest job in the world, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, and CISOs do have, I mean, it is tough. And and they're not wrong. Like we've said, you know, the majority of, of these issues do come down to human error. So like the, there is always that. But the communication aspect that Robbie's mentioned is, is, is so important. This isn't a role that necessarily gets communication training or marketing, you know, internal marketing training or anything like that. So they are sort of stuck in this position where they know that the human error can lead to major problems. It keeps them awake at night. But they also know that if they don't handle that with, you know, very, very delicate touch, that the humans will turn against them. So, I mean, it's a tough job if you were, you know, a diplomat, never mind a technical person that, that, that sort of has to manage teams. But what I find is that they are all cognizant of it. They all want to do it really, really well. And, and the real truth is, is there are psychological tricks that, we, that I would use as a social engineer that would get the troops on board. And one of them is a common enemy. And the common enemy isn't the CISO or the humans. It's the hackers. It's the bad guys. It's the criminals. So, you know, as tough as the message is, the stronger message is we're under attack from people who mean us harm and we need to club together. And we're not perfect. You make mistakes. We make mistakes, we forget things, but we're here and we're together and there's more of us than there are of them. And that's really a simple message that anyone can say. Mm -hmm. And it just needs repeating as much as we possibly can. The main message that I have sort of learned from the CISOs I speak to out in the world, both as a professional and a practitioner, and also sort of in terms of the content and everything that I create, the podcast and everything, is that you've got to take it as a two-way system. Because sometimes... It's the people that come up with the best defences that are not even in security. So, you know, engineers, marketeers, you know, HR, they will run a mile because 
nobody wants to touch it because it's so potentially kind of dangerous and, and, and far reaching. But that's why I always say you've got to you've got to have these clinics and be open to what everybody says. You can't just give them training or plug in the magic box and then not go back. It's got to be a constant loop. And that really takes, you know, the tech department, the security department out of its silo, away from that room at the end of the corridor, you know, like in the IT crowd, the basement, yes. And yes. in amongst the people. And the most innovative companies that I know sit there, they don't have a room for IT people. Those IT people, those security people are in and amongst other departments. Yeah. That's the only way to do it because otherwise people will, even if you have, you could be Martin Luther King up there giving training and they'll listen for half an hour or an hour or they'll watch it and then it'll go away. It's got yeah. to be baked into the culture and to do that, you've got to hand it back to the people. We are almost out of time, but just to help us very quickly wrap things up, Robbie, what, what takeaway message would you share with somebody watching today who is responsible perhaps for their organization's cybersecurity, but is either struggling with engagement from their workforce or perhaps from their senior stakeholders? Where would you point them? So uh, leading on from where Jenny left off, I think it's bringing all of your uh, executive team, your management team together I've written a book called uh, Cybersecurity for Dummies that you can get on download at the link of the end of the webcast. It was a playbook for people, a how-to to go about dealing with the human element. And it's there really to give someone that is starting out or wants to bring other departments on board a playbook, a, a how-to. And Jenny, very quickly, a takeaway for us, mere humans, how very quickly can we ensure that we aren't the problem between the chair and the keyboard? Well, you know, we always say that social engineers research people to find out more about them to get to them. So my advice is always, you've got to know your people better than the bad guys. Thank you very much indeed for joining us, Jenny. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And thanks again, Robbie. My pleasure. Bye-bye. And we look forward to seeing you all next time. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>